Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to episode four of Trash Talk with TK. I am TK, Tom, Kelly, and we got to start once again with the Philadelphia 76ers. And I really didn't want to didn't want to go down this path again. I know on the last episode I played one of my uh one of my discussions about Brian Colangelo from from a show I did recently and how poorly he has mishandled Markel Fultz's situation, both from a PR standpoint and just from a communication standpoint. The way they communicate information to the fans the way they handle things in the media and once again we come out of a Sixers game a disappointing loss on Thursday night to the Toronto Raptors Sixers blow a 20 plus point lead in the third quarter end up losing uh, late in the game in a game they, they led pretty much the whole way but the big story the day after the game is Another another public relations snafu. Another situation where the Sixers just don't handle things correctly in the media. They don't handle things correctly when communicating to their fans. And of course, I'm referring to the Joel Embiid situation prior to the game. And... It's one of those things where if the organization hadn't had a history of this kind of thing, hadn't had a history of not communicating things properly, not handling things publicly the right way, they'd get the benefit of the doubt. But when you have a history of doing this kind of thing where you don't handle things properly in the media, you have a history of being dishonest with your fan base, intentionally dishonest with your fan base. When you look back at the Joel Embiid situation from last year where you're hiding a significant injury, the Markel Fultz situation this year where you really won't tell anybody what is exactly going on if he's healthy, why is he not practicing at a full capacity and why isn't he playing in games? When you have a history of that, It leads people to believe that there's something else at work and maybe they were intentionally being dishonest prior to that game and why Joel Embiid did not play after being upgraded to probable. Now, do I think, personally, do I think he was upgraded just so the team could sell some extra tickets prior to the game? No, I do not believe that. But I really have a hard time Coming to grips with, why would you upgrade him? Why? At 5.30, 
an hour and a half prior to game time, why would you upgrade his status? It doesn't make a bit of sense. It makes no logical sense whatsoever why you would upgrade Joel Embiid's status when the common belief is that he will not play. He was listed originally as questionable. I don't care even if you think he is going to play. You do not upgrade his status to probable unless you are sure. Because if you do that, and he does end up sitting, whether his back tightened up, or you just want to make sure that he is good to go for that Christmas Day game, which you know they want him going in that Christmas Day game. And you know the NBA wants Joel Embiid playing in that Christmas Day game. But regardless of what it is, you do not upgrade his status unless you are positive, positive that he is going to be in the lineup because if you do and he doesn't play, you end up with this exact situation where people are angry and people are annoyed and people are skeptical of why you did that. And I don't believe they were being intentionally dishonest. I really don't. But they have lost the ability to have the benefit of the doubt. Brian Colangelo has has lost the right to get the benefit of the doubt from the fan base and the media because he has intentionally been dishonest so many times. Why should anybody believe what he has to say? Why should anybody believe what this organization has to say when this kind of thing happens? I don't blame one person who believes that they upgraded his status to sell some extra tickets. As I said, I do not believe that personally. But based on the history that they have in these sort of areas and the track record in only a short period of time that Brian Colangelo has garnered in in this town, running the Sixers, of not being honest, not being completely forthright, not giving honest appraisals of things, I don't blame anybody for not believing what he has to say and not believing anything this organization has to say. And it's funny because if you remember back, this was all supposed to stop when Sam Hinkie was was run out of town. Everybody thought it was all on Sam Hinkie, the PR nightmares, the 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 so-called dishonesty, even though I was in the minority. Because I thought Sam Hinkie wasn't a guy who liked to talk, but when he did talk, I thought he was pretty forthright, to be honest with you. When Sam Hinkie did speak to the media, I believed that he was pretty straightforward. I will never forget the the press conference he had after Joel Embiid's quote-unquote rookie season when, when he missed the whole year, and it was his press conference to announce that there was a setback and basically that he was going to miss the whole next season. And he was very honest. He explained every step of the way what they did with 
with Embiid throughout the whole season and why his setback happened. And yeah, he maybe should have talked earlier and kind of kept people abreast throughout the season. But in that situation, he was completely forthright. Brian Colangelo is never forthright. Brian Colangelo was intentionally hiding a major knee injury that Joel Embiid had last year. He knew Joel Embiid was not going to play the rest of the season. He didn't tell anybody for over three weeks until he was caught. And he had to tell people. And now he is not letting people know what's going on with Markel Fultz. Does he have a shoulder injury or does he not have a shoulder injury? If he does have an injury, how severe is it? And if he's healthy, as they claim, why is he not playing now? And it's unbelievable. It's just, it's a constant cycle with this organization. And I feel like things are not going, things are not going to be fixed until there's a complete overhaul at the top. I don't know if it's Scott O'Neill. I don't, I don't know Scott O'Neill. I don't know what exact role he has when it comes to these decisions and how they're handled in the media when you talk about whether a guy is going to play or not, why those kind of reports get out, and and what what they put out there, whether a guy gets upgraded to probable or not. I don't think he has anything to do with that, but I don't know. And that's part of the problem. Nobody knows who is making these decisions. And again, this organization botches it. Again, they get it wrong, and instead of talking about the things that are going on on the floor, which aren't great right now, certainly, I wouldn't overreact. I think it's a, a young team going through growing pains. People don't want to hear that, but that's that's the truth. And when you don't have Joel Embiid on the floor, this team just doesn't have any any type of depth. But Again, instead of talking about what's going on on the floor, we're talking about a PR nightmare and a snafu in the media and an issue, an issue where, you know, an injury isn't being properly reported or, or accurately reported. I, and it could be as simple, as I said, it could be as simple as Joel Embiid went through workouts, they thought he was going to go, and then his back tightened up. But the bottom line is they have lost the benefit of the doubt and they have lost, you know, the right for you to believe that. And if that's the case, so be it. But the Sixers have not earned your trust and anybody that is skeptical of what went down before that game, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. And until until we see a culture change, and this change regularly, and these things stop happening, they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt, and they shouldn't. And that's the bottom line, and it's another just major, major PR mistake and situation where the organization just looks stupid and incompetent. Now for a more positive topic, we'll turn things to the 12-2 and Philadelphia Eagles coming off of a a big win, a stressful win, a game that shouldn't have been as close as it was, but a, 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 a good divisional road win for the Eagles in New York against the Giants. Giants off, uh, awful, awful team this year, obviously, but 
The Eagles go in, first game without Carson Wentz. They get the job done ultimately, not the cleanest performance. Defense played poorly, but Nick Foles throws four touchdowns, plays very well, and, you know, I was, I was if you listen to the podcast last week, I was, I was down. I was very upset following the Carson Wentz injury in Los Angeles. I still am. You know, I still think this team's Super Bowl chances, they took a massive hit. And there's there's no way to beat around the bush or sugarcoat that. But I will say I'm feeling better than I was a week ago. You know, to see Nick Foles go into New York and play the way he played was exactly it was exactly what you wanted to see. It's really all you could have hoped for. You know, going into that game, I think everybody kind of wanted to just see Nick Foles go in, competently run the offense, keep things moving, keep them on schedule, and keep them scoring points, and he did more than that. Nick Foles played really well last week, and I know it's the Giants, I know it's a a really poor defense, one of the worst in the league. But I don't I don't know how you couldn't come out of that game very encouraged. At least knowing that there is still hope. Because to be honest, after that Rams game, I I wasn't ready to completely pronounce the season as being over. Because when you're 11 and 2, you know, you're on top of the NFC, you obviously still have a chance. You never know what can happen, but I didn't think this team had a realistic shot to to get to the Super Bowl. I still think it's a long shot, don't get me wrong. But is there a conceivable way that they could wrap up home field advantage this week? Get to the playoffs? Win two home games? Yeah, I could see it happening. If Nick Foles plays the way he played in New York, he will give you a chance. And that's really all you can ask out of a backup quarterback is can this guy go into a big game in this situation, a playoff game and multiple playoff games? Can Nick Foles go in to two playoff games at Lincoln Financial Field and give you an opportunity to win and advance? And I was unsure of that prior to last week, I'm still unsure of it. I played one game, but I liked what I saw. And if Nick Foles can continue to play the way he played in that game or close to the level he played in that game, they'll have a chance to beat whoever they play. I still think there are some opponents you'd rather see than others, obviously. The teams that scare me at this point, I, I'm also happy with some of the developments that before last week, two of the teams that scared me more than any others in the NFC were the Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks, mainly because of the quarterbacks that they would come in with. Going against Aaron Rodgers, going against Russell Wilson, and if I'm correct, I believe the Eagles are a combined 0-7 against Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson 
since they came into the league playing the Eagles. But they scared me more than anybody else because they're tough quarterbacks to defend, and they can beat you single-handedly. After last week, it doesn't look like either of them will be in the playoffs. That's good for the Eagles. I didn't want to see either of those guys. Now, the teams that scare me most that are remaining and teams that you are likely to see or could see in the postseason, of those teams, the two teams that scare me the most at this point are the Los Angeles Rams and the New Orleans Saints because they're two teams that can score a ton of points. And with Carson... You just look at things differently. With Carson Wentz, I wasn't really scared of anybody. Yeah, I'd rather see some teams than others. But with Carson Wentz, I I thought the Eagles were the best team in the NFL. And nobody scared me. I would feel like the Eagles would win any game with Carson Wentz at quarterback. I don't feel that way now with Nick Foles. I feel like they could win any game. But I wouldn't go into every game feeling like they will. That 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 ultimate belief that I had with Carson at the helm. But the Rams and Saints scare me because they can score a lot of points. And the Eagles aren't going to be able to win those kind of games now, in my opinion. I don't think it's conducive for them to try to win shootouts with Nick Foles. The way the Eagles are going to need to win now, and it's it's hard to say this after last week because the defense looked so bad, I think that was more an anomaly than anything else. The defense also played poorly uh, for stretches in that Rams game, but that's a really talented offense. You see what they did to Seattle's defense last week in Seattle, which nobody does that to Seattle's defense in Seattle, even though the, the Seahawks' defense is banged up. Nobody does that to them. But that's a talented Rams offense, so I kind of give them a little more a little more slack for that effort. The Giants game, I think it was an anomaly. I think they just they just had a bad day. Whether it was coming back from the two-game West Coast swing and they were still getting back in the flow of things, maybe they were looking past the Giants. I do think there was an aspect of that that they thought they were going to go in and just whoop them and they weren't taking them as seriously. But I think it was kind of an anomaly. I still think this is a good defense. And this is still a defense that can play well and 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 do an adequate job against most offenses. But the way the Eagles are going to need to win now with Nick Foles in the postseason is, in my mind, they're going to have to keep the score down. You're going to have to keep the score down. You're going to have to grind it out. Getting in shootouts is not the way for this team to win without Carson Wentz. It's just not. And I worry that playing teams like the Rams and like the Saints, that you're going to end up in those shootouts. And I don't think the Eagles can beat either of those teams in a shootout. And I know people say the Eagles just beat the Rams two weeks ago. That game has no bearing, in my opinion. That game has to be thrown away when you look at how the Eagles and Rams match up now because the Eagles played three quarters of that game with Carson Wentz. The Eagles scored 37 points offensively in that game, 31 of which coming when Carson Wentz was a quarterback. Nick Foles only scored six points in that game. So you cannot say, oh, well, they beat 
the Rams with Nick Foles two weeks ago. That 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 did not happen. That is shaping the argument to be what you want to believe. The bottom line is Carson Wentz was a huge reason the Eagles won that game. Carson Wentz played great in that game for the three quarters he did play. And it was a shootout. And if you get in that kind of game where you have to where where you're playing the Rams and you have to play that kind of game with Nick Foles as your quarterback for four quarters, the Eagles probably lose that game by two touchdowns. And I think it would be the same kind of thing with New Orleans. That New Orleans offense is so potent with Drew Brees at the helm and what they do in the running game. This is a different Saints kind of team than you're used to seeing. They're usually an air it out, you know, throw the ball 50 times kind of team. They're not playing that way this year. They are really effective the way they're running the football, using their backs. Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara have been the best backfield tandem in the NFL this year. And I think it would be really tough for the Eagles to win those kind of games. So the teams that I would prefer for them to see are teams like a Carolina. People might think this is crazy, but a team like a Minnesota. Like Minnesota, yeah, they got a really good defense, but I feel like the Eagles' defense can do enough of of keeping the score down against them. Minnesota's got two really good receivers in Diggs and Thielen, but the Eagles should be able to shut down their running game, should be able to make them one-dimensional. And I know he's had a good year, but if you make Case Keenum one-dimensional and you can pin your ears back and get after him, you should be able to force him to make some mistakes and keep the score down, and grind it out, and run the ball, and Nick Foles should be able to make enough plays to win that kind of game. And I feel the same way against Carolina. You should be able to keep the score down against them enough to where Nick Foles can make plays, because that's the thing. And that's what I said last week that was why I was so pessimistic following Carson's injury, is I know a lot of the narrative after Carson got hurt was, oh, well, we'll just run the ball, Nick Foles, as long as he doesn't turn the ball over, the Eagles still have a chance. No way. That's not the way it works. If you want to win a Super Bowl, your quarterback's still going to have to make some plays. And if the Eagles are going to win the postseason, Nick Foles is still going to have to play well, and he is still going to have to make some plays. But I think he can. I think he can make enough throws to keep you in games. I think he can make enough plays to keep you in games. He looked very confident last week. And I do believe this is a different Nick Foles than we were accustomed to the first time he was here. I don't think he's a... I still wouldn't be ready to proclaim him a franchise quarterback. Could he start for some teams in the NFL right now? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Do I think a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars... You know, if, if you said right now you can have Blake Bortles, Bortles or Nick Foles, I think they'd take Nick Foles. I think there are a handful of teams in this league that you said you could have your guy or you can have Nick Foles. They take Nick Foles. He's a competent NFL quarterback. It, 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 he can still win games in the playoffs, but, but only if the games are played the correct way. I don't think he can win shootouts with the high-flying teams. You're going to need to keep the score down. You're going to have to keep him in situations where he's comfortable. But I do think he can make enough plays. I do think in those types of games that are conducive to Nick Foles, he can make enough plays to keep this train rolling. 
It's going to be tough. I still think it's unlikely. I still think it's it's unlikely the Eagles even win a playoff game. I really do. I just when you lose the MVP of the league, it's a massive hit. And I I think a lot of people have kind of somehow underestimated how great Carson Wentz has been and how much a role he played in this team's success. But I feel better. I absolutely feel better about this thing than I did a week ago, and I don't think the season's over. I think the defense will bounce back. I think the Eagles will beat the Raiders. My prediction for this game on Christmas night, Eagles 31, Raiders 20, and the Eagles wrap up home field advantage, and we'll be back on the field the following week against the Cowboys, but we'll really be back on the field for meaningful football the second weekend of January in the divisional round of the playoffs. And now to close things out of episode four, Trash Talk and TK, it's time to give out our weekly award every time we do the podcast, our Dumpster Fire of the Week. This week, the dumpster fire, this is a pretty easy one. This goes to the NFL and the officiating practices recently and especially last week. What a disastrous weekend that was for the league. What a bad look that was for the NFL. Some of the officiating um, situations that went down. First in the Pittsburgh-New England game, Jesse James reaching across the goal line, which is, I mean, that's a touchdown. I don't know what to say. That that should be a touchdown. Yeah, the refs ruled it correctly. People were getting on the refs about that. That anger, I'll say, was misplaced, but the guys who make the rules and write the rule books, come on. Like, by the letter of the law, it's an incomplete pass. That's a catch. That's a touchdown. The guy reaches across the goal line, and then as he reaches across and the ball hits hits the ground, it moves so subtly. At no point did he lose possession. I mean, that's a touchdown. There's there's no there's nothing else to say. That is a touchdown at any point. Looking at that objectively, without, you know, scrutinizing rule book, would you say that's an incomplete pass or a catch and a touchdown? It's catch and a, t- t- and a touchdown. So that was another embarrassing situation for the league, uh very reminiscent of the Doug uh, very reminiscent of the Des Bryant catch fiasco a couple years ago in the playoffs. By the way, shame on the broadcast for not bringing that up with Tony Romo in the booth. You got to bring that up. That Tony Romo was the quarterback for that Des Bryant play. How do you not bring that up with Tony Romo in the booth for that game? But that was a bad look. Then on Sunday night football, the issue in the Cowboys Oakland game with the the ball being measured was it a first down was it not a first down Gene Steratore pulling out a folded piece of paper to measure and what I think may have been a joke I mean he was smiling and laughing it it looked to be a joke but pulling out a piece of paper in this day and age to measure whether a football is, is a first down or not that was a bad look just just a a bad weekend for the NFL officials and really more than the officials like I said the the situation in the Pittsburgh game was not their fault really just the the officiating committee and how they how they enforce these rules and how they write these rules it's just it's just a little ridiculous not in the spirit of the game it's way too too rigid like you've got to have a little room for you know the human element of okay you look at that 
that's a catch. That's a touchdown in the Pittsburgh game. I mean, measuring with a piece of paper, how how are we still doing that in 2017? It's just awful. And then, you know, how however you feel about the rule, ball going into the end zone, being a touchback, Derek Carr diving for the end zone, ball gets knocked out, goes through the end zone, touchback, Cowboys win. That rule, you know, does that need to be changed? That's another issue where that's happened a ton this year. Think back to the Jets New England game, where that was another stupid, stupid letter of the law type thing where the ball ever so subtly is moving in Austin Safarian Jenkins' hands as he's going to the end zone. They call it a touchback, which is another one that was a touchdown. Just another bad week for the NFL officials and the the officiating group as a whole. And it's been a whole season full of snafus and full of just embarrassing, embarrassing situations for the officials and how rules are enforced and governed in this league. And with that, they receive the unwanted honor as Dumpster Fire of the Week. And with that, we will conclude episode Four of Trash Talk with TK. I am TK Tom Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at TommyKelly44. Also, I will be on the air 94 WIP this week. Filling in for Big Daddy Graham Wednesday into Thursday morning, 2 a.m. to 5.30 a.m. And Thursday into Friday, 2 a.m. to 5.30 a.m. I'll also be back on the air Sunday evening, next Sunday evening, on the 31st, New Year's Eve. I will be on the air following our Eagles-Cowboys post-game coverage from 7 to 7.30 before we head in to our broadcast of Sunday Night Football. I am Tom Kelly. I'll talk to you on 94 WIP later this week. Have a good holiday, and I'll talk to you later. See ya. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.